When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code POD to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code POD at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code POD. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Welcome into another special edition of At The Turn. Nick, I always say that, but this time I actually mean it. The all-distance edition. Is it good? Is it harmful? Well, we're going to have a special guest join us from a group who wants to change things, wants to Turn back the clock a little bit. Very interested to get his take a little bit later on in the show. But Nick, you have some numbers and figures about kind of where we are in the game from a distance perspective. Is that how you want to kick things off? Well, I don't want to kick things off with with too many stats. Um, I did read the USGA and RNA kind of distance insights project report. And basically there's how long is that report? Um, well, they had a 15-page conclusion, which is what I read. I didn't read. Wow. I mean, I'm sure their report is 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 much longer. But um, just to kind of see what it's all about, because the amateur golfer, I guess, probably doesn't really think about distance as being a problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but it was interesting because the points that they make um, about the balls and the clubs going farther. And then golf courses responded, responding by lengthening their courses and moving bunkers that are no longer relevant. You know, it, it kind of, it's like, where, where, where does it stop? You know, what, what's the point of all of it? Um, so it, it is, it, I think it's interesting. And, and again, amateur golfers probably don't really think about it because, Joe, do you want to hit the ball farther? Yeah, of course I do. Exactly. But, but then if you think about it, do you want you and everybody in your group and everybody in the tournament you're playing in to hit the ball relatively the same distance farther than they're hitting it currently? Yeah, I do. Ball go far equal fun. I'm very curious to hear someone's perspective when we're going to in a little bit where they don't want the ball to go farther. And I guess, and I don't know if this is something you can answer, but I want to pose this to you. Who does the RNA and USGA ultimately make rules for? Are they making it for 200 people who are the top professionals in the world, or are they making those rules for everybody? 99.999999% of which are me, you, the listeners, the average golfer out there. I don't quite comprehend why distance is a bad thing. I think they're also thinking about the golf facilities. So they're thinking about the courses that are no longer relevant because they can't afford or they don't have the property to become longer 
now they can no longer host, say, U.S. Open qualifiers or whatever kind of stuff that they used to host. Or these bunkers or these forced carries are no longer relevant um, the way that the course was designed. And so maybe they have those interests in mind, too. Um, so I don't know. Your answer to that question is interesting because I didn't think a lot of people really think about distance in terms of anybody except for themselves. Like, yeah, if I can gain 10 yards. That's great. But when you think about it, like, if everybody's hitting it 10 yards farther, then what are you really gaining? You're not really gaining anything except for you're playing a shorter golf course, in which case, why don't you just play it up a set of tees right now? Because there's still some skill involved in hitting the driver straight. And I understand this idea of golf courses that were designed back in the day becoming obsolete. I mean, look at Augusta. They have to change things kind of every year. And that tournament has become, with the exception of years where there's some rain or inclement weather, a bomber wins it every single year. But to your point, if everybody is making those gains, then is it a detriment to the shorter hitters because they're going to be shorter hitters now or they're going to be shorter hitters if the ball is rolled back, if technology goes forward? You're still going to have that gap. And if it's a golf course issue, that I'm more interested in discussing because some of the great venues are becoming more difficult. And then you have a course like Shinnecock Hills is the one that comes to mind. Like they're still playing on that course, but because of the setup of the greens with U.S. Opens, that's kind of becoming gimmicky. You've seen some of the newer courses that have been used. Aaron Hills, Chambers Bay. Chambers was really bad because it wasn't grown in enough. The greens were bad. Aaron Hills, you see Brooks, who's hitting it a mile. He shoots, what, like 17, 18 under, and that's not the goal of a U.S. Open. So I understand where you're coming from, but I guess in totality – what matters to me more is the experience for the amateur golfer as opposed to the professional golfer. And that's a very well, it's, it's very interesting. View, it, no, but. it's not because there's way more amateur golfers than professional golfers. But it, it's it's so interesting. That brings in the whole bifurcation subject, which I don't know how much we're going to talk about it. We haven't talked to our friend Matthew from the Rollback Alliance yet, but I think it's about time to bring him in um, and we can just see where it goes. I mean, I think we're both interested. I think we're kind of both open to both sides of the argument, but um, I think there's probably a lot of valid points on, on both sides. So I think probably at this time, it's time to bring him in and see where it goes. And we'll, uh, we'll, kind, of, we'll kind of wrap it up a little bit afterwards after our conversation. Joining us now from the Rollback Alliance, Matthew Malika. Matt, thank you for taking time. We really appreciate it. Let's just start with the most simple question. What is the Rollback Alliance, and where did you come up with the idea to begin? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the Rollback Alliance is sort of an advocacy group formed by myself and uh, another Melbourneian, Will Watt. Will is the editor and founder of Caddy Magazine, and a few years ago, I wrote an article for Caddy Magazine talking about distance and the possible need for a rollback. And Will and I kept talking about that topic and decided that we should really do something a little bit more substantial than just have the article within the magazine. And so we set about forming the group. Um, our logo is the nautical flag for G, which is vertical blue and yellow stripes. Uh, G in that phonetic language is golf. And when that flag is flown by itself, 
rather than meaning just the letter G, it's actually a symbol on the seas for I require a pilot. And we thought that that analogy was pretty fitting considering the message that we wanted to send to the broader golf community in terms of reviewing the distances that we hit the ball today. So I, I read a little bit, you guys kind of, you had this idea or, or some sort of epiphany while playing Royal Melbourne um, in, in a, a, a carry on a bunker that, that once was a challenge was, was no longer relevant. Was that kind of, talk about how that kind of shaped or kind of brought to your attention this, the, the new distances. Yeah, that was the opening paragraph or two of the article that I'd written for Will. Um, I was playing there one day with a friend who's a good 10 years older than me, and he vividly remembers the days where we played golf with ballada balls and steel shafts and persimmon-headed woods. And the carry bunker on the second drive of the West Course, which you saw as the 18th hole on the composite course during the most recent President's Cup, particularly into a sou-westerly wind, a prevailing wind at Royal Melbourne, that, that tee shot was not daunting, but to carry the bunker was very difficult. You could play safely to the left, but if you wanted to carry the bunker, you really, really had to hit a good one and you got a good advantage for doing so. And it really crystallised for, for Brian, my friend, and myself when we were on the tee that day with Pro V1s and 460cc headed drivers that you could just blow it straight over that bunker and it, it just, it was irrelevant. So, Matt, so what, just real quick, Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like ostensibly, what is the goal of your organization? What do you want to see happen? Um, we're a reasonably diverse group. We have fitting with that um, logo that I mentioned earlier, we have a group of, of ambassadors or pilots as we've called them. Um, and some of those are relatively well-known people, including Rand Morissette, who heads up Golf Club Atlas, uh, Tron Carter from No Laying Up, Christian Hafer, who's a noted photographer, uh, a couple of golf course architects, including Ian Andrew and Mike Clayton, uh, Jay Ravel. And amongst that group, including myself and Will, we have reasonably diverse opinions, somewhat a universal rollback, somewhat a rollback for the pros only, somewhat, some are passionate about not having a tee. Some are passionate about having less than 14 clubs. And real, really, we want to promote informed, um, intelligent discussion regarding reviewed regulations pertaining to distance. So you, you kind of touched on it, and, and I'll get into it more later, the kind of bifurcation, which has been a hot topic, whether the pros play by different equipment or different rules than the amateurs. Um, before, we, before we get into any of that, in your opinion, you know, what happens if nothing changes? If from now, for the next 50 years, if nothing changes and there's no new regulations, uh, where do we see the game in, in 25 or 50 years? I mean, what's, what changes? I think that we'll probably see the small progressive creep that we've seen at the professional level for the last seven or eight years where guys continue to optimise equipment there'll be tiny little advantages with shaft technology and perhaps tweaks to ball technology and dimple pattern. People will get stronger. The next generation will be taller. They'll have faster club head speeds and they'll probably continue to hit the ball, particularly off the tee with driver and three wood, ever, ever growing distances. Mike Clayton's very fond of saying that the freak in one generation is the norm for the next. <laughs> 
And certainly when we look back at John Daly in the infancy of his career, and he was driving at prodigious distances at that time, that's stock standard for the tour these days. Um, uh, and, and I assume that the next generation of professional golfers, Cameron Champ, uh, Tony Finau, some of the really, really long bombers, they're going to be stock standard for the next generation. So what does that mean for, you know, the, the courses that are 6,000 yards and can't get any longer? I mean, do those become, they're out of the rotation for professional events? They're, I mean, are they becoming obsolete for amateurs? Or, or what, what does it mean for the courses? I think the way we play them as amateurs is certainly changing. Um, there's certainly going to be an increase in distance among amateurs. Like less skilled, less accurate recreational players. When we have that technology, we're going to get bigger and stronger. We're going to have greater access to simulators and track man. And, and to some extent, the Saturday golfer will be able to optimise his carry distance much as professionals have, uh, far more readily than we're already seeing. So that, that means that those 6,000-yard courses are certainly going to uh, be arenas for a very different mode of play for those people. Hey, Matt, we talked about it a bit before you hopped on with us. 99.99999% of amateurs are probably listening to this and thinking, well, hell, I want to hit the ball farther. I like hitting the ball farther. I like shooting lower scores. So for that person, what is your pitch to them of why something needs to change? I think that the current trajectory that the game is on is probably going to be less and less sustainable as we look forward 10, 20, 30 years. Um, for those courses that can expand, they're going, they're going to be longer layouts. They're going to take more time to walk. They're going to cost more to play because more water and more fertilizer and more man hours in terms of course preparation are going into them. I certainly don't want to rob anyone of improved performance or punish the long guy. And I don't think anyone with any sense is talking about doing that at all in this discussion. If we have reviewed ball and club regulations, if you drive at 20 by me now, Nick, you, you, you're still going to drive at a reasonable distance past me when we have reviewed legislation regarding ball specs, driver heads, shafts and whatnot. Um, I think some people have perhaps a slightly less informed opinion and a, and a real fear that the game is going to get much harder and that they're going to be robbed of distance. I think... If there is to be a universal rollback, so everybody's affected, not just professionals, so we do it in the absence of bifurcation, I think that there's nothing precluding the average Saturday golfer, the weekend golfer, from moving up a set of tees as a part of that overall recalibration within the game. And if the scale of the implements and the scale of the course are adjusted concurrently and appropriately, I'm sure that the vast majority of, of, of recreational golfers will see very, very little difference. Matt, taking it from the professional's perspective, you know, I was thinking about different sports and how those have kind of evolved over the years. You look at professional basketball, it's much more now of a finesse three-point shooting game. American football, passing has become completely different in the last 10, 15 years. Baseball the home run numbers go up. How is this different than those examples of perhaps an evolution of a professional sport? I take your point, Nick. I think that a lot of people look at 
the game today and think that it has evolved. I would I would argue that it's devolved. And I think that there would be a number of professionals who would share that opinion. Um, we look at Rory, Adam Scott, a couple of others who are really, really good drivers of the ball. And there's clearly guys teeing it up in PGA Tour fields who are not as skilled as those guys. And the gap between those players is less and less apparent. There's technology with driver head design and balls that is allowing guys without Adam Scott's skill, without Rory McIlroy's skill, to still hang with them. And I can't see how anyone classes the degradation of skill or the erosion of a margin between a great player and a merely really good player as an evolution of the game. I, I just kind of look at this, and I think about any other sport. And when I was growing up, like if, if I wanted to make the basketball team, like I had to go out and, and work on my jumper and, and shoot the J and just work and work and work. And if I want, you know, if you want to be on the track team, you go, you hit the track. But if you want to become better at golf, like I feel like if you want to hit the ball longer, you just go to your pro shop and you get fit and you dial in your specs and you just get the newest club. Like I, I feel like it kind of takes the the hunger and the drive out of it like the way you improve at golf especially the way it's marketed is not through practice and dedication but through the newest and greatest equipment and whether that is or isn't the case that's certainly how it's marketed i mean it, do you see a world where it becomes again a game of of you know trying to focus on the skill and the practice in in the technique rather than having the latest and greatest? I think that's certainly the pitch that's given to us by all of the, the major equipment manufacturers that we can, we can buy improvement with the latest model clubs. Um, I know if, if I'm able to have a concerted phase of short game and putting practice, that's, that's the, that's the magic bullet for me. That's what makes my scores go down. Good thinking on a course and, and good short game performance. Um, I think that the, 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 the distance myth that's sold to recreational golfers is exactly that. So I want to get into the bifurcation a little bit. I know it's, it is a hot topic and it's kind of one of the things that's sacred about golf is that the amateurs are playing the same equipment and the, in the same opportunity as, as professionals. Um, but you, it's obviously got to be part of the conversation from a rollback Alliance standpoint. So what, what are your views on bifurcation as, as a rollback alliance and as personally, um, what are, what's kind of, what do you see that as? What are the options? Um, how does that play into it? Um, the alliance itself, um, amongst our 15 or so pilots, uh, we, have, we have some who are in favour of bifurcation, some who are in favour of, of a universal rollback. Um, and there's pros and cons for both those approaches, no doubt. Personally speaking, I would be in favour of a universal rollback and for a broad range of reasons. I, I think that the issue far transcends the professional game. I think that it actually relates to the 99.99% of golfers in that uh, length is really, really affecting our games, the courses we play on, the way in which we play. I always think about... 10 or so courses in Melbourne, just as, a, just as a, a, a really rapid grab of courses that have urban sprawl nibbling away at their boundaries, roads adjacent to holes, housing estates adjacent to holes, and 
with today's equipment, the boundary issues that that provides, the safety issues that that, that results in, uh, that means ever-growing cost for a lot of courses. And it's just, uh, I think it's just unsustainable. I think that if we can reduce the distances that we're hitting the ball, um, that big high right block that you never really used to see in the old game, um, balls endangering property well outside the golf course boundaries, I think they're going to get less and less if the game is responsibly managed. That's an interesting point and something I never really thought about, Matt, because, you know, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and just thinking kind of anecdotally as we were saying that, I can think of like eight tee shots on courses that I, you know, typically play in my rotation of munis around town where if you spray it a little bit, you're probably going to catch a windshield or two out on the road or you're going to hit it into a house. And you're right. There's really no room to extend these courses any farther. So are you worried about current courses trying to keep up or more of the new tracks that will be designed and put out there being built at like 7,700 yards for the tips? Both, Nick. Um, I, th I think that, well, Royal Melbourne, as you, as you saw the, the 15th hole, you saw on the President's Cup rotation, that altered about 10 years ago because of a boundary issue on the right side of that long par five. Um, there's old aerial photos of the course in the clubhouse that date back to pre-Second World War. And the road adjacent to that hole was as wide as a horse track. These days, it's a really, really busy suburban road that has tens of thousands of cars go up and down it every day. And the clubs had to change that hole, plant trees between the hole and the boundary, fortify the boundary fence. Uh, they've no doubt noticed an insurance premium go up as a consequence of balls eluding all of that and then going onto the road. Um, and you can say that about Kingston Heath. You can say that about Victoria. You can say that about Woodlands. Some really wonderful sandbelt courses down here in Melbourne have had to combat change related to boundary issues that, that weren't, they weren't in anyone's thinking 30, 40 years ago. They just didn't happen. But certainly you touch on another important point with new courses that are being built to scale with today's equipment. And they're, they're long courses and, and they probably shouldn't be built at that length, but they are. And they're a drain on, they're a drain on land, they're a drain on water, they're uh, more expensive to play. Um, and that's, that's, that can't be good for the long-term future of golf. I'm wondering if there's been any conversation, um, kind of to go back to the, the bifurcation a little bit, but of having a pro ball and amateurs can choose to play a pro ball that's that's regulated, limited flight, if you want to call it that, or just whatever, it meets the, meets the professional standards. And you can play that ball if you want to, or you can play the juiced up pro V1 if you want to. Um, that way you can kind of have your pick. If you want to go out there and just hit it as far as you can, go right ahead. And then if you want to go see what it's like to play with this regulated ball, that's, that's a standard that they're playing with in, you know, qualifiers and, and all the professional tours, then you can have that option too. Is, is that something that's been discussed at all or that's, you know, potentially a possibility? Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a possibility. Within the, within the distance report that was released earlier in the week, there was provision made for the possibility of a local rule 
pertaining to equipment, and that certainly could encompass a reduced distance ball that was played at classic courses or at shorter courses at the discretion of the club um, or, the, or the management of that particular tour or event. And I think that the one that it most likely relates to is the possibility of a master's ball. Um, Jeff Shackelford's been talking about this for a good 20 years, uh, talking about it in terms of maximising the retail offerings from ball manufacturers. So you can buy a current ball, you can buy a reduced distance or classic course ball, as he terms it, um, as, a, as a potential way of uh, appeasing ball manufacturers and, and allowing them an additional income stream that isn't there currently. Um, I think I think that works, and I, I, I share I share Jeff's confusion as to why ball manufacturers have not done that previously. And I think all that will do is take someone like Pine Valley, National Golf Links of America, Cypress, Seminole, someone really really notable to do that, and we would flock to buy that ball. Um, Brendel Chambly's poo pooed that idea totally on Twitter in the last few days, uh. which is perhaps unsurprising. Uh, he poo-poo's a lot. Yeah, he does. He does. It's, it's interesting. He's 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 really flip-flopped on this idea in the last few years. He's been pro rollback, pro bifurcation, anti, then pro, uh, then anti. So maybe we better not dedicate too much time to his perspective. Yeah. Well, well I, I think you brought up a really good point. That's obviously I, I think kind of the elephant in the room. The manufacturers, if there was no money to be gained or lost in this whole thing, I think there would have been more regulations or something done a long time ago. But there must be so much money in in the balls, in the drivers that are being released every six or nine months to hit it farther. I mean, for golf to say now we're not pushing distance would be like such a hypocrisy. So how much do you think the manufacturers are playing a role in this? I think they're probably the biggest stumbling block in it all. Um, I think the, the USGA and the RNA will probably view relatively long sunset clauses with um, current regulations and any shifts to new future regulations regarding distance, largely with the manufacturers in mind. Um, I always look at swimming's example, guys. Swimming had the laser swimsuits, the buoyant aerodynamic or hydrodynamic swimsuits that burst onto the scene more than a dozen years ago and were used to set a dozen world records uh, in their, their first few months of being used, more than 100 world records in their first year of being used. And the world governing body of swimming, after 12 months or so, decided that that really wasn't great for the sport. And so they banned their use in competition. And there's certainly a great legal precedent there for golf's governing bodies to follow. Uh, I'm not suggesting for a second that Speedo and Arena and various other swimsuit manufacturers have the, the political pull and the financial clout of golf's manufacturers, but there's, there's a path there that can be followed for the, for the betterment of the sport exactly as it was performed in swimming. That's, that's kind of funny. I never would have thought that swimming would kind of set the example. I wasn't really, I didn't really know uh, <laughs> that was happening with swimsuits. Um, Running is actually the, going through the same thing at the moment, guys. There's a, there's a Nike Vaporfly 4%, Nike Vaporfly Next, the, a, a revolutionary shoe design that's been used to really, really improve marathon running performance. That was a shoe that was used to break the two-hour barrier in the marathon time trial yeah. last year. 
and World Athletics has recently governed on the legality of that shoe and other shoes like it. And they've been far from perfect in their solution to that. But there's, there's been this overriding sense for months and months as to how much is the athlete and how much is the shoe. And uh, what are we trying to do here? Create an arms race with footwear in athletics or are we trying to assess human performance and athletic endeavour? And, and to, to some degree, they've, they've moved to address what Andy Johnson would certainly refer to as technological doping. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because now that we have, I mean, now how many times do you see a commercial where a club was, was created using AI and it's this much better? And the, the technology is there to, whether you want to say help athletes perform at their best or to, you know, technologically doping. Um, either way, either way you look at it, the opportunity is there to be better than ever before and probably across the board in, in like you said, running, swimming, golf. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's kind of interesting that this principle is kind of being set in, in other, other sports as well. Absolutely. And it, it is a point worthy of continual consideration because there are golfers out there who are on 30 plus handicaps who can't hit at 160 yards, can't carry at hundred yards. And we don't want to exclude those people from playing golf. So it's not, well, I might come across as being anti-distance and having a very black and white view on it. Uh, it, it is a nuanced subject and, and you, you can't curtail technology um, and, and nor should you um, put a handbrake on game improvement for those who genuinely need it. Um, I've, I've often viewed the topic akin to probably the use of trainer wheels on bikes. And with, with the way that technology is being used in golf today, it seems like the professionals who need it least are the ones who are standing to benefit from technology the most. And that's, I think anyone who looks at it even for a moment realizes that that's wrong. Matt, I'm curious, what kind of progress or conversation have you had with groups, you know, from the RNA to USGA, perhaps locally in Australia, elsewhere throughout the world. What kind of is the roadmap for you and your group to try to institute some of these if it's a full rollback or bifurcation or something to curb with what you think is a pretty big problem in the game right now? Um, we've, we've been an interested onlooker, certainly, and we've also contributed um, in terms of writing to the RNA and Golf Australia and the USGA in terms of, um, in terms of uh, our, our concerns and, and wanting to make a contribution to that pool of information that was used to pen the Distance Insights report. And we'll probably continue to make submissions to those groups, expressing our wishes and expressing our views. We're actually staging a day for a few dozen golfers next Sunday afternoon at Kingston Heath, where we're playing with some first-generation HP2 tour balls and some wound balls, 10 club maximum, uh, driver heads less than 300cc, and we're looking to see how much fun those guys have playing that game, what their miss is like, what their good driver is like. Is, is there much of a distance reduction in a small, albeit a small sample size? How quickly do they get about the course? How much fun do they have? Um, we're, as an organisation or as a, as a group, we continue to be active on social media um, and, and probably try and 
disseminate the message from lots of different voices in times past. This is this is certainly not a new topic and, and not a new argument. It's been going for a hundred years. And one of the aims that we had as an alliance was to unite those groups. So bringing the thoughts of William Flynn, um, Tillinghast, Mackenzie, Nicholas, uh, Pete Dye, Tiger Woods, all of those people who are who are pro rollback to some degree, uniting those voices and, and and disseminating those views so that more and more people are aware of of their thoughts. All right, Matthew Malico, certainly an interesting topic from the Rollback Alliance. Really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. If folks want to read more about what you're doing, check out some of your good work, or if they're part of the cause, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, we have a Twitter handle uh, at Rollback Golf. Uh, we have an Instagram presence that's very small and much smaller than our, our Twitter presence. Uh, we, we can a, relate to that. <laughs> we have a. Uh, we also have a website, rollbackalliance.org, and there's a couple of different uh, reference materials there uh, that people can have a read of if they want to learn a little bit more about the topic. Our email addresses are on there if they want to get in contact with us individually, and, and we'd certainly welcome that, both the good and bad. Understand that. There's a lot of people who are dead against any sort of change to the status quo, and, and I'm certainly not against um, discussing and engaging with people who are really of a, of a very different view. Well, a couple of things. Your your website is is an awesome resource. I mean, I, I came into this really blind. I had no opinion on, on distance, and I read the, the USGA and RA distance report. I read a lot of stuff on your website. I really liked the article you guys wrote about um, are we already bifurcated? I thought that was a pretty interesting point. So if, if you're interested more, you should go check that out. And uh, also just very brave, I think, for for taking this stance in the game where, where like Joe and, Joe and I said, 99.99 of guys want to hit it farther. And, um, you know, you're kind of out there bringing attention to, to why, why that's not such a great idea. So uh, really appreciate what you're doing. And it's very interesting stuff. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the chance to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, Nick, are you now a believer in rolling back the golf ball based on what our new friend Matt had to say today? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think – I think a rollback, when you say the word rollback, um, it's, it's got a <laughs> – yeah. It's got a definitely a negative connotation, like, like we're taking something away from you. Um, I definitely, after reading uh, the USGA and RNA's report, conclusion and, and talking to Matt and reading a lot of the stuff that Matt has written. Um, I think a pause might be appropriate. Um, let's kind of see where we're at. What's, what's wrong with where we're at right now? You know what I mean? Do we need to keep adding yardage? I get it. We want to hit it farther, but maybe if we hit pause, we can learn how to hit it farther without relying on just buying better equipment. I think the idea of it is fine. I just have a tough time believing that you're going to be able to get the toothpaste back in the tube. It's a tough, it's, it's a you're really, right. really tough sell to tell people, hey, I know you just gained 25 yards, but we're going to go ahead and roll that back a little bit. And right. something that you, you now view. Away. No, you're right. Well, it's just, it's. It's tough, man. It's a t it's it's a really tough sell, and I think he's eloquent and articulate in his point. I think he I think 
the perspective that he takes is the most correct one, saying that it is an issue of space. It can be viewed as an environmental issue because you're using less land. Um, so I get that, and I think that makes sense. I mean, practically, you're talking about, okay, say you build courses at 6,500 yards as opposed to 7,700 yards, and you say, well, it's only 1,200 yards. But the infrastructure around golf holes is mm-hmm. a lot, too. It's not just T to pin. There's a lot surrounding that as well. So I think that is a very interesting point. I just don't know how you actually implement something like this unless you get, and he said this too, unless you get someone like a big course or a big event, something to actually convince people this is a good idea. And if the PGA Tour or even like the Corn Ferry Tour the European tour, someone decides to take this on and say, you know what? We've got all these events in the fall and the winter. We're going to make one of these events where give the guys persimmon clubs or give them a lot of balls with old equipment and see how it goes. I'm a little surprised, perhaps, that one of these exhibition matches that we have, the Tiger versus Phil, they don't throw a wrinkle like this in there. Something to That's make a it different. Point. You know what would be a really good opportunity for that is to go to a really, really cool course in Scotland or Ireland that is no longer relevant because for the last 80 years, it has not been able to host a relevant championship because it's too short and just change nothing but the ball and put 48 of the best players in the world out there and let them play and and showcase that. I mean, I guess my opinion more now more than ever ever is is relative distance versus distance. Like he said, if I'm hitting it 50 yards past him every time, which I probably am, give me some credit here. Yeah, I like that. Who cares how far each of us are hitting it? And in these courses that were designed to have six and seven irons hit into their greens now have pitching wedges and gap wedges hit into greens, it plays differently. So Let's let the courses be played the way they were designed and bring it, bring an event to a course that's awesome that nobody's heard about specifically because of this issue. And maybe then it will gain some traction. I mean, think about other sports. Like, think about in baseball. If they juiced up the baseball, then everyone was hitting 100 dingers a year. Then they had to expand the fence and cut into the seats and make the stadiums bigger, and then they made the ball even more juicier. What would you say? You'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, I mean, that kind of happened a little bit already with baseball. You've seen that (laughs) park in Miami? It's it's ridiculous. It's like a cathedral. Um, I think what's tough about this, kind of thinking through this as we're talking about it, the thing that young professional golfers pretty much all do well, the top ones, is hit the ball a mile. And regardless if you think it's good or bad that that's happening, the emphasis has been on power for 25 years now, since Tiger came in. And so you have all these people who are 25 and younger who only know golf as a power sport. It hasn't been a finesse sport for 30 to 40 years. So you really have to change the mindset of golfers that – the emphasis is on putting. The emphasis is on hitting good mid-irons, long irons, even at the high amateur level. When you play with a scratch golfer, Nick, or you play with someone who is sub-10, how often are they bunting it out there 250? 
Not very often, I bet. The emphasis in golf is hitting the ball a long way. Hit it, gouge it out of the rough, try to make your birdie putt. That's what golf is. So if we're going to change what golf is, it's going to be a very tough sell unless it comes from the top down. You can't do it from the bottom up. My question is this. You're saying that's what golf is. That's what golf is now, but is that what golf was 50 years ago, 100, 100 years ago? Is that what golf was was founded on? And that's the question. I don't know the answer to that kinda. question. I think the answer is no. Well, See, I kind of disagree because yeah, – I mean, there, maybe there isn't an answer. Jack Nicholas, his greatest strength was hitting the ball a mile. Like, there's just – there's not a ton of examples of guys dominating golf who are finesse players. Sure, you get your Corey Pavins in there. You know, you get guys who aren't long hitters who are able to compete because their wedge game and putting is so on point. But golf has, I think, to some degree, always been a power game. It's now more emphasized now because hitting the golf ball a long way is sexy. Thanks, Phil. And it's going to be very difficult to, again, I hate that analogy, but put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's tough, man. It's it's already happened. No, I agree with that. I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think to the course that I play down the street from me and the first hole is like 310 yard par four. And the, the, the very tips is like five yards. You know, there, there's just no more space. And what are you going to do when like every single 55 year old is hitting at 275? I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a pitch and putt almost. Well, I will be honest. I do think about this sometimes, like, and I'm not trying to boast myself or anything, but when there's a a long way, when there's a 300 yard par four, I assume I'm going to make birdie half the time, because even if I miss my driver, if I keep it on the course, I'm going to have some sort of pitcher punch shot and it's an up and down like, and you're right. Most of the holes that I see that are short par fours. There is a very small distance between the white tees and the tips. At most, it's like 20, 30 yards, but it's the same golf hole. And because I can hit it far, it's a huge advantage for me over someone who can hit 250. So from that perspective, I get it. Perhaps we're emphasizing the wrong things in golf, but I just I just don't know how you change it. I I, I really don't. I I I hear all the ideas that we're talking about. I just don't know which one of them is the most plausible and who's going to take that on and why they would. What's what's the lost art in golf? I mean, like when the three-point line hit basketball, this is the lost art of the mid-range, mid-range jumper. What What's the lost art in golf? Is it the 150-yard shot? What is what is dying with, with all with, with this? I'll, I'll give you one from Papa Simons, and, and, I, and I kind of agree with it. So my dad was a scratch golfer back in the 70s. And he never hit the ball a long way. He's one of those annoying guys who mm-hmm. puts it in the fairway, hits it 20 feet, and he'll make the birdie putt half the time, and he'll nickel and dime you to death. And what he always says is what's lost from golf is shaping the ball, having to work the ball left to right and also having to work the ball right to left. Because the ball goes so far and so high, the ball goes a mile high in the air now, you can hit it over everything. There's no penalty for not being able to work the ball both ways. If you have one shot shape, you can be a pretty successful golfer. I mean, look at Bubba. Bubba's a psycho, so we can't really use him as a case example, but he's like one of the only guys who puts huge curves on the golf ball both ways, and I think that that's something that is not really asked of even, like, 
mid-level amateurs. Like I'm talking like 10 handicaps. You don't have to do that. You can shoot 75 by just bombing and gouging. <laughs> I mean, that, sure. I, I feel like I'm getting away with murder because honestly, because the courses are the length they are, if, I, if I'm hitting the driver okay and the course is like 6,300 yards, 6,400 yards, I feel like I can break 80 even if I only hit like four fairways. All right, I have a few more things. It's like we're not, we're not quite close to it on this yet. If they put a pause and just said, "All right, the ball you played with this year is the ball you're playing with for the next ten years," would you have a problem with that? No, no. Uh, again, I think that I mean, you played with a fifteen-year-old driver until last summer. True, and the best round I ever shot was, you know, I got a box of balls from Big Five. I think I got eighteen of them for nine dollars. <laughs> so. Shout out Hyper Ti by Wilson. Holy uh, shit! You were there, so <laughs> I was there. Yep, that is such a good point. That was Hyper Ti fifty cent balls with a with a at the time twelve year old driver and irons that were a rental set from the nineties. So look, <laughs> I'm already rolling it back, baby. But now I've you know I've sold out. I'm taking advantage of literally everything. I got brand new driver, brand new irons. Everything is new because. You're crazy not to. I don't know, Nick. I don't I don't necessarily think that there is anything in particular that I don't think there's anything in particular that we can point to and say, that's what we can do. We can roll back the golf ball. The game is now fixed. The game is now something that is more accessible to people. I just don't know how Matt is going to with his group, and I give them credit because they do have a lot of folks out there that are names. They have a lot of folks that it sounds like are very passionate about this subject. I just don't see what they are able to do in order to make this something that is tangible, to get buy-in from professionals, to get buy-in from amateurs. I like the idea of it in principle, the application of it. I'm, I'm, I'm just at a loss at how they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, the manufacturers, I think it's going to be the toughest thing to get past because there's so much effing money in the golf industry. And there's, I mean, the Callaways and the Titleists and the TaylorMades, they are raking it in and they're not going to stand for stopping. And what do they it always say, won't. Nick, in their commercials? Play the ball Tiger plays. Play the ball Rory plays. Oh my God, look at Tiger with his driver. Look at DJ with his driver. That's the selling point of these clubs. Look at what these pros can do. You can do what these pros do. And if there is a different ball at the Masters, then you just, you can't roll out this brand new did, equipment. Did you ever feel like, did you ever roll up with your OG tailor-made burner in the last like three years and, and get paired up with some 65-year-old bro with like, the the latest and greatest who was hitting it like just as far as you and you're like I'm such a better player than him and he's just got the the a, a driver he bought last week. I mean the the thought has crossed my mind b before I upgraded my driver and I was playing with people with new drivers. I was like you know in the back of my mind I was thinking well if I if I had the latest and greatest I would blow it by you <laughs> and that's not necessarily happened because of the new driver. I will say. I think the biggest advantage in equipment for amateurs is when I hit one in the sweet spot and I miss hit it, the dis the difference between those two shots is pretty small, right? Like I may just miss the fairway or I may lose 10 yards of distance, but there are some shots that I miss hit with the driver that are going almost as far as my sweet spot hits. Your margin for error is greater. And 
even though my tailor-made burner was made in like 2003, the technology was still pretty good back then. Like that's not a bad club. No, so there are advancements, but I think you'd have to roll it back so far that you're talking like mid nineties technology to make a really big impact. Like DJ could grab my old sticks in my garage. He could hit that driver 350. I'm convinced of that. Sure. And I think that's fine. I, I think that's fine. And I think, like I said, I think a pause, I don't want to take anything away from anybody. I want to just pause and evaluate if there's other, like maybe you could work harder to gain that distance. If you want to gain 10 yards and the difference is, then you've gained that 10 yards and everybody else in your club championship hasn't. That's the difference. Um, I do want to give a little bit of uh, recognition. We put this out on social media and we got a response on Instagram from PN Dubs Golf. Joe, so up in your neck of the woods. What up, PN Dubs Golf? I know. So just basically asking what your stance is. They said, and this is an interesting point, so I want to hear your take. I have to say, as an average golfer, I hope they don't make equipment changes. Rollback, di- ball distance, etc. Because the last thing I want is some golf hardo playing pro balls. Not to mention, it would become a potential scheduling slash pace of play obstacle at courses. I feel like the op- opposite. I feel like rolling it back would help pace of play. Anyways, uh, I'm opposed to continually lengthening courses from a sub- sub- sustainability standpoint. To me, Brandel Chambly and others have a good approach. Bring the roughs in, make them thick as hell, and penalize players who are favoring length over accuracy. What do you think about a f- letting distance go rampant? Hit it as far as you want, but the fairway is going to be 20 yards narrower. Yeah, I like that. I think that's great. Do you? Yeah, I, I do. Don't. I I would rather have a wider fairway, not wider, but same fairway width, and and cut back on the distance or limit the distance. But my problem is, what are you trying to accomplish by doing that? Like, okay, from your perspective, what what do you want to accomplish with any changes you would make? What is your goal? The goal will be to preserve the the skills and the challenge. But how are we not doing that right now? Well, right now, right now, you're not preserving anything. You're just saying invest all, put all your eggs in one basket. And then, like you said, try to try to chip it out from 90 yards, try to get on the green or get up and down. And you're like par or birdie. I like the idea of growing the rough up. Um, it's tough because we always, at least from my vantage point, <clears throat> I sort of think, okay, we got to be close, right? We got to be close to maximizing distance from the golf ball and golf club, and yet, like Matt put it, <laughs> I doubt it. there there is this there is this creep that has happened. Like we just assume golf is a power game because it is, but if you look at the driving distance from 2010 to what it was even in 2015, like the average golfer can slap it out there 300 yards now. I'm somewhere in the middle, Nick. I I don't view it as a problem, but I wouldn't be opposed to any sort of changes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen if, if we take it to what, I don't either. What's going to happen. I don't think anything's going to happen. I think the USGA and RNA are going to say, look guys, 
these are the issues, which are the fact that courses are getting bigger. It's taking longer to play them. It's costing more money to build them, to maintain them, to mow them, to fertilize them. It's more chemicals. Um, these things that they view as problems. But who's really calling the shots? Where do the dollars go? The dollars are going to new clubs, to new balls. You know, you, go, you want to play your new driver. You want to play your Maverick, Joe. You know, you want to play your, your, your new Pro V1. And so... Maverick? Ultimate, is, who, who, who makes the Maverick? Sorry to interrupt, but who makes the Maverick? It's a Callaway? Yeah, it is. God, their names it suck. <laughs> Jailbreak? No? Anybody? Yeah, terrible. <laughs> but... I think ultimately the dollars are, are going to speak louder than anything else. And they'll, they'll just basically have the information out there that, look, hey, we, we said in 2020 it wasn't great, but y'all didn't do anything about it. And, and then I, I, I don't think anything's going to happen. I don't think you can. Like you said, the toothpaste, toothpaste back in the tube. What are you going to do? Um, Nick, do you have anything else? Because I have, I have an important question to ask you before we wrap up. Oh, that, that's it. Okay. Well, I, I just have one thing. Um, mm-hmm. from, from your perspective, like clear your mind for a second. Okay. Okay. What's the one item in your bag that you're going to use most during a round? Think about it now. Thinking about it. You know, is it my driver 14 times, my putter, the 30, a two it's tough. times? It's no. tough. Do you want the answer? The answer. It's a range finder, baby. Whether you're oh. hitting it 250 or 450, Right down the middle, you got to know how far you're hitting it into the green. So you've got to get the Precision Pro family of rangefinders. Get one for yourself. Get one for your loved one. Get one for your dog, even. Just get yourself a Precision Pro rangefinder. Get rid of the watch. Have you have you thrown your watch away? I haven't thrown it away, but I haven't charged it since last August. Oh, hell yeah. Well done. Folks, if you're interested... And taking your game to the next level, you should be interested in Precision Pro Golf Rangefinders. Use the promo code at the turn at checkout. We're going to save you some dough on a beautiful product. Golf season's right around the corner. $20 off. $20 I, off a Rangefinder. And yeah, what, what? When's we're last? Basically, when are you we're, playing again? We're, we're, we're giving these Rangefinders away. I don't, everything must go. $20 off your Rangefinders at Precision Pro Golf promo code at the turn and also free battery replacement services for the life of your rangefinder. You're not only getting a rangefinder, you're getting lifetime service. That's precisionprogolf.com coupon code at the turn at checkout for $20 off your favorite rangefinder. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Love it. Uh, I think we're going to come back soon, Nick. Tiger's playing. Tiger's playing again. We got to come back. Yeah. Um, Joe, it's 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 going to be late February soon. Mm. Creeping into March. Creeping into Masters territory. Oh, yeah. Into like the heart of golf season. It's time players, to get excited. The players is right around the corner, baby. Get pumped. The more every time I see a commercial for the players, I just hate it more. <laughs> if you go back to like episode three of this podcast, I was like, I love the players. It's so you great. You were like that. I loved it. And now. Well, 
My problem is <laughs> it's, it's such so a force. It's such a sell job by the PGA it's Tour. So like they're really guess what? You know what the commercials are for the Masters? They just show Augusta. That's all you need to right. see. For the players, it's like the past champion. They have them like in a small hostage room, and they're making yeah. them say, "Oh, well, this is this is really the last piece of the puzzle for my career to really have meaning." Like bullshit. That makes Rory. me want to puke every time Rory is like. If I didn't have a player's championship, my career wouldn't be complete. <laughs> like, really, bro? Cool. Anyway. All right, Joe. This was really fun. I'm really glad we took a deep dive into an important issue. And I uh, hope we do it again soon sometime. Important issues coming up on At The Turn. I can't wait. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time at The Turn.